0: Welcome, welcome, Housers, to another episode of On The Way Home. I'm your your guest, man. The one thing I've got to do right is actually, like, I've got to do one thing right and get the intro uh, correct. But I am your host, not your guest. You'll find out about our guest soon. I'm your host, Michael Braithwaite, and I work with amazing people at the great organization called Blue Door. Blue Door is an organization in the north of the GTA, working across York Region, Peel, and Durham, doing incredible work, helping people find housing, connecting them to healthcare, and connecting them through construct or construction social enterprise to amazing, well-paying jobs, well uh, meaningful jobs in the trades while bringing in revenue so we could do all that incredible stuff not just on the backs of government for more information check us out at blue door.ca we don't do this alone we do this in partnership with the canadian alliance to end homelessness you can find out about their work at caeh.ca they do uh, incredible advocacy work they they Throw a big conference in the fall this year. It will be in Ottawa. They do training. If you want to become a Built for Zero community, and trust me, you want to. It's important. We need Built for Zero communities across this country if we're going to truly prevent and end homelessness. Check out their work. They do that and so much more. C-A-E-H dot C-A. Let's talk about today's guest. He is uh, one of the few five-timer club members we have. We don't have the robes like they have on SNL. Um, just the pride that they can wear being five-time guest on the show and it is nick falvo so nick is a researcher he's a uh he has his doctorate he's a consultant uh so you know technically he is nick falvo from nick falvo consulting uh but nick does so much more he uh heads up a tour that i was part of last year uh, in partnership with the chartered institute of housing canada uh the canadian version and in last year we did new york city this year it's in london Uh, England, where we're going to, we kind of tour through and see what we can learn from what they've learned around preventing and ending homelessness uh, and uh, increasing affordable housing. So looking forward to that. On top of all that, not paid work. He calls it a 6 a.m. job. Nick gets up and he has created an open access textbook around homelessness and all the different pieces involved. Uh, So we talk about his journey to how the heck did you uh, arrive here? How did it come about? And he talks about, kind of stumbling into the work as a frontline worker for many different agencies and that there really wasn't training developed and there really wasn't anything written down that he could learn from and go to and that, you know, both management and frontline or the board could say, here's homelessness, kind of 101, wasn't there. Uh, and he always noticed that and then was asked to teach a course on it. He was scrambling to find uh, material. So we put that together. And he thought, why not share that with the rest of Canada, the rest of the world? And then it was really important to him. We talked about how so many people now, especially frontline workers or students, are strapped working two or three jobs. They can't afford to buy yet another textbook or pay a fee to access something online. And so he made it free. It's open. You go to his website, and check it out. He's talked, there's over 20 different chapters covering everything from, you know, encampments, um, all sorts of different subjects on there. And listen, if you're frontline, if you're a manager, if you've got to talk to the press about something, it's been a while and you need to refresh and learn the chapters. He talks about it, He wanted it to be easily digestible, 45 minutes to read one. Uh, you know, very simple language. Uh, he also has a summary at the end. He's kind of his version of Dick's Cole's notes at the end of each chapter. Uh, he talks about how he's had some of that translated into French. So, uh, different people, uh, people go back, um, you know, make it a little easier if French is your first language to access. Uh, Such a cool textbook. We talk about that and much, much more. Listen, Nick's one of those people I could talk to for hours around uh, homelessness uh, and all the research work that he's done and all the different places he's worked in. Uh, Today we talk about the open access textbook. you'll want to listen and you'll want to check it out at his website at, I think it's nickfalvoconsulting.ca. But let's go to that conversation now. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. If we actually had, uh I might have to get them designed, um, special robes for the Five Timers Club, uh, Nick Falvo would be one of those people that would be wearing those. We actually had our all-time leader, John Fox, on last week. So I think he might be like one podcast ahead of you. It's only because you continue to do incredible stuff and and stuff that people should know about. Uh, this podcast is about awareness and education. Today, we're heavily going to talk about that education piece. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for continuing to come on the the show and, and share with our listeners.
1: It's an honor to be here, Mike. Thanks so much for having me.
0: As always, you get many cracks at this. I don't know if you have, like your answer remains the same, or you know, at times in your life, maybe through throughout the past, say, four years we've been doing this has changed, Uh, but let's see. And that is, hey, what does home mean to you?
1: I'd like to think my answer is evolving. Um, I think home is much more than four walls and a roof. And I think that as that may sound cliche. It's actually not self-evident in the current debate in Canada about affordable housing. I think we put a lot of emphasis on getting new stock uh, in the ground and we put a lot of emphasis on trying to make new units affordable, and we try to think hard about where they should be located. I don't think we talk enough about the amount of professional staff support required um, in a sustainable way over time when we talk about new units and new housing. I don't think we talk enough about the fact that semi-independent seniors need professional staff support. We don't talk enough about the fact that Wraparound support, a term we use in the homeless sector, uh, needs to be in place for as long as the tenant needs it, not as long as the organization wants to provide it. So I think we've got a national crisis on our hands in terms of a lack of wraparound support, a lack of professional staff support. So my answer, that's a long-winded way of saying home for me is much more than four walls and a roof.
0: Well said. And I think a lot of people, well, I think everyone on the show agrees. Usually people don't, it's not the physical structure, but you're right. When it comes to solutions, everyone's build, 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 build. We've got to do this. Uh, but, you know, and I, I, tend to think people shy away. I say funders in general, shy away from those conversations, because if you say, Hey Nick, I need, you know, you're in government. I need a million dollars to build this home. It's a one time then I'm, 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 a, I'm out right now. If I say I need wraparound supports uh, in perpetuity, they get a little nervous because is that going to be on the backs of government forever? You know, and and there's always going to be new stuff. How do we, you know, if we come out of that, we're the bad guy. So how do you work around any thoughts about how you work around that?
1: One step at a time, I guess Uh, strategically, it's probably okay to emphasize the short-term cost to a funder early on. But I think over time um, it's important to have those conversations about the need for wraparound support and, and I think that it can be framed uh, in the language of prevention and uh, the, the fact that it's, it's, it might be nice to save a little bit of money for a few months, but if, if cutting back on wraparound support means that person ends up back on the street, you haven't done yourself a favor and you haven't really saved yourself
0: money. Sometimes uh, government, much like me why I wear these glasses, a little short-sighted, uh, we see what's right in front of us but not you know far away, right? And I say that because um, that prevention piece, I've been a, a big supporter for a long time. The trouble with prevention sometimes, especially when you're dealing with government uh, that has maybe a four- year mandate, is the results of that might not happen tell i'm way out of it so you need someone really with that kind of long term i'm going to be okay with the fact that it might even be a different government uh in total that, that's going to receive the praise and see the results of this but i found that was always a, a shorter term as when you build if i'm going to build something in the next six months <laughs> you know that is physical i could touch it, i could take a picture in front of it everyone sees and that will, may help me get uh re-elected.
1: It's tough. Yeah, the The new buildings create those ribbon cutting opportunities and they create something we can all see and that's tangible. Um, but I think, you know, now, you know, we've been seeing substantial increases in visible outdoor homelessness since the pandemic. Um, Edmonton was in the news last week with its big, with its cold snap and encampments being, you know, cleared by the police and elders being arrested. And I think when, when the, the flow into homelessness is so visible and intense, I think, I think it can get easier to get the attention of politicians in terms of reducing that flow. I think it's important to say, hey, let's talk about how we get less of these people showing up in public spots and wraparound support is an important part of that.
0: Absolutely, it's part of that. Um, yeah, and, and well said. And sorry, I, I, veered listeners, I veered so far off the script, but I, I think you know, and I've got to go back to it. Otherwise, this could be a two-hour uh, podcast. And, and the stuff that was happening in Edmonton, I don't know, Nick. Sometimes, like when I think we've come so far, and then we take ten steps back, where I'm like, how how can you really be punishing people in, in you know deepest need? through uh just, just taking down those encampments it's, it's it's messy and i know our friends that uh with us on this podcast the canadian alliance and homelessness we're all over that advocating and working with government uh so we can do better uh moving forward we want to talk about some of the work that you're doing right now you're doing something really really cool i you know f- four years ago almost five years ago, when we started this podcast, it was like, how do we get part of the challenge around homelessness and housing and pieces is that everyone's kind of working and doing their own thing. And how do we create awareness and education uh, in those pieces, especially when it comes to something like homelessness? uh, There's so many unknowns. It's, it's, you know, there's not really uh, a degree, say, or a diploma in uh, homelessness. In fact, I'll tell you this, Nick, a funny stat. I was supposed to teach a course um, about three years ago on homelessness at the college level. Two people signed up, so they canceled the course, right? So it shows like even interest. I don't know sometimes, but you've done something cool. You've developed a textbook, an open textbook, and we'll talk about the open piece. Uh, Introduction to Homelessness in High-Income uh, Countries, an Open Access e-textbook. How the heck did this idea come about? Uh, and can you walk us through the process? It's not easy to do, um, That you know, and I'm sure it continues.
1: Well, for me, it's, it started with my journey into the homelessness sector. Uh, that was in 1998. And I uh, essentially walked into a facility in Toronto. I, I effectively walked into Dixon Hall, which had a men's shelter. Uh, I had a, a friend who worked there who got me an interview they were all you know they're always looking for relief staff so they said what the heck uh, we'll take we'll take we'll look, give this guy an interview um they interview me ask me basic questions about homelessness i had no idea what the answers were to the questions and i bombed the interview uh, i had a couple of degrees in political science they didn't teach us this stuff you know I, I would have been really good at helping the organization talk about their geopolitical status in the new world order but i had no concept of what was going on with homeless. I had no formal training and i think they were just desperate for staff at the time so they said here you can start but i really had no business being there so to speak and i had to i just learned on the job and then when i started to work they just threw me in there was there was absolutely no training there was no mandatory training there was no optional training at first it was just here's your first shift or three other people on shift and just try not to get in the way And that's how it kind of continued. I ended up working at Dixon Hall, Central Neighborhood House, Homes First Society, Street Health. Uh, I did that over a 10-year period, and typically there was no formal training. And most of my colleagues had not had formal training before they started their work. So I guess I came by the book honestly because I asked myself at one point, what would I have liked 26 years ago when I got into this sector? What kind of information would I have found helpful? What kind of information would I have found helpful as I continued doing frontline work? What kind of information would my colleagues have found helpful? So I was responding to a gap. There wasn't really a place in all, I mean, one-stop shopping. You could go for information on homelessness, so I wanted to kind of fill that gap. Um, I went on to do a PhD in public policy at Carleton University. When I was doing the PhD, like you, Michael, I was asked to teach a course, a university course, Uh, So I ended up developing a course uh, uh, on affordable housing and homelessness. I taught it three times. And I can assure you it was extremely time-consuming at at the beginning uh, because I was sort of scrambling to find information. There was no textbook on homelessness that I could go to. And so um, essentially, you know, I came about this honestly by being a frontline worker without training, uh, by being a course instructor without resources, Resource, And then when I ended up at the Calgary Homeless Foundation uh, as director of research and data after my PhD, I found myself constantly wanting to explain things. Now that I knew a little bit about what was going on, I I felt this this calling to try to explain things in blog posts and in PowerPoint presentations um, and wanting to give people the information I wish I'd had when I'd started in the sector. So I would say I, I came by this honestly and I was trying to fill a gap. or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit ConstructGTA.ca.
0: The, the gap is huge. You're so right. And as you're talking and saying that, I think it went, I think quite often we have a lot of turnover in the sector. And a bit of that is you'll get people from social service work, that's usually what we're looking for, um, in various different, say, uh, degrees, maybe it's a degree in social in uh, sociology or psychology or different pieces But when they come in and they're actually doing work with people experiencing homelessness, it's like, wow, like I wasn't cut out. I don't know what to do in this circumstance. I don't know how to answer this question. I I don't have lived experience. These pieces, aside from the lived experience, your textbook kind of would fill that and help train. Is that who it's aimed at? You've kind of developed this for your uh, frontliner coming in, or is it a wider audience?
1: I think it's for frontliners. I think it's for middle managers. I think it's for senior leadership. Absolutely. I think it's for funders, uh, public servants, municipal, provincial, federal public servants in the sector. I think it's for elected officials. I think it's for uh, students. I really do believe it's for all of those groups. There's a a real pressing need for sort of a an overview of homelessness, an introduction to different pieces of homelessness, and I think this bill, I think this book. Um, you know, fills that gap.
0: Now, so, so all right, I got to talk about the textbook being an open textbook. You share this. And I say that, so I recently, uh fortunate enough to teach a course and someone said to me, they said, do I really have to buy the textbook for this course? And, and they weren't being a jerk, but well, they were being is, is real. And they were saying, is this going to be one of those courses where I buy the text, you don't teach from it, and I just spent $100 of this textbook that I don't have that will sit on my shelf and I won't get rid of because I paid $100 for it, so I feel I can't. Uh, you've designed an open textbook, like you put it out there, um, it's accessible. Anything, like why was it, was that important to you that it was accessible to everyone?
1: It, it was very important and I'll be, let me be clear about what I mean by open access. It means it's free, you don't you don't pay a dime yeah. unless you print it off on your, on your printer, which you can do, in which case, you spend uh, maybe 25 cents for a for each chapter. Uh, but it also means barrier-free. You don't need a password. You don't need to log in. So you've got the convenience. You've got it at your fingertips in seconds. You don't pay a dime. And I was I was learning, I and mean, I learned when I went back to school to do my PhD uh, that a lot of students today are working three jobs. And, and I say that from experience because I was working three jobs when I did my PhD. People don't have extra money to buy a $100 or $200 textbook, um, especially if they don't even know if it's going to get used. I think also people in the sector don't have a hundred bucks or 200 bucks. They might have a job, but it's well known that in our sector, we don't pay as much as we would like to. Um, And so money's at a premium. Um, Senior management loves to have training opportunities and educational opportunities that don't cost too much money. So everyone's looking to save. Everyone's looking for convenience. I knew this, and I thought to myself, you know, I, I've been teaching a Homelessness 101 workshop, which I continue to teach. It's an all-day workshop that I teach whenever I'm invited to teach. Uh, I, I do it in person. I do it virtually. Uh, I, do, I give it to board members. I give it to communities. Um, and I said to myself, I've got all this material. And I looked up at my computer and I thought, I've got a website too. And I thought, why don't I just start putting this stuff online? as it becomes available. Why don't I just start putting pen to paper on this and not just presenting in person? Because not everyone can take my Homelessness 101 workshop. Maybe it's not offered at a time that's convenient for them. And so I started putting the material online and uh, I realized that people really had a passion for for open access material. They wanted it quickly, they wanted it conveniently, they needed it uh, in a hurry. And so I, I think it's the new way. And I think that increasingly we're, we're seeing open access become a thing. Uh, when I was an undergraduate student in the early 1990s, it was not a thing at all. No one had a problem. None of us had a problem for some reason for do, going to the library or going to the campus bookstore, but, but the world is changing now.
0: Also, we, you know, what, what our open access was one person buys the book and the rest of us goes to the library, pays for whatever photocopy card and then you photocopy the chapters that you need for it. That was our way around, as you said, being able to afford it. I'm going to tell you this too. I was shocked last week. I, uh, I was, we we're coming back after break and I asked someone, I said to the students, I "said tell me something fun you did over the holidays or something you did over the holidays. And I have seen 90% of people said not much. I had to work, right? They're working to pay for school. So the last thing you want to do, yeah, is add to that. You're right also, many uh, frontline workers across the country are not even making a living wage. and uh, we've got to do better, right, with that. And that how you know, you're asking people not making a living wage to support our most vulnerable many because they're not making a living wage. Uh you know, so so having a resource like this and having it free is, is so wonderful. What can people expect, Nick, when they they look at this book? What types of things are covered? What was important to you to have in this or in, in different chapters? Yeah.
1: Um, I think that, um, I mean, I want, I want frontline people to read it. I want people at all, uh, at all levels of organizations to read it. I think that people can expect a short document, short chapters, and that's crucial. So um, I, I will write a chapter in about 2,000 words or 2,500 words. It's designed to be read in about 45 minutes, the full chapter. And they can expect uh, short sentences and simple words and short paragraphs. And I'm actually, I mean, quite serious about that. I mean, there are lots of people in our sector for whom English is not their first language. There are people in our sector who didn't get the chance to go to university, who didn't get to, I I had a coworker when I worked in Toronto who had never been to post-secondary at all of, of anything, like she, she just had high school. That's not uncommon in her sector. So you can expect to see accessible information that can be read relatively quickly, and you can expect to see summaries too. So for example, Michael, if you get short notice, you get told you gotta be at a meeting tomorrow morning to talk about encampments, maybe you haven't been talking about encampments recently, maybe it hasn't been in your day-to-day, and you're going to have a microphone in front of you at some public meeting and you need to prepare, Um, my chapter on encampments is designed to be read in about 45 minutes. And if you're too busy to read that 45-minute chapter, that's okay because I've got a 10-point summary for you that's designed to be read in about 10 minutes. And so you'll get something quick, accessible, um, you can digest it uh, in, a, in a pinch if you, get, if you have to be somewhere quickly. Uh, I understand that not everyone has three hours to get through a chapter
0: you know, it's so, so interesting about that as well, Nick, and thanks. And, and for uh, younger viewers, there was something back in the day called Cole's Notes. And so as if you didn't want to read the whole book, you'd go out and get these notes, and they'd probably hit on the high points. Teachers hated them, and for good reason. You should read the whole thing, right? But uh, so Nick has done a Cole's Notes version in, in, in the summary at the end. Um, I remember getting in trouble for that in, in English once. Uh, I, I dropped my Cole's Notes, and, and the teacher was not happy. Um Nick, aside from, uh, so, so it's, it's digestible, it's quick. And it's so funny you mentioned that too. I was actually, my partner, Sylvia, was, uh, so at this time of year that you and I are talking right now, very, very cold. It seems to be there's more attention paid to people on the street because they can get seriously ill or die uh, in this type of freezing weather. Uh, so she was called to be on live television. And so we prepped the night before, uh, uh, but then they switched the topic. Right, uh, the day of. So, so to be prepared. But we had gone over a bunch of different things, and thankfully, right. But this, this is something that someone in that position definitely could use to be prepared to say, as you said, you're right. You know, you're, you're being hit with this. If you say the wrong thing, it could damage your organization, the sector, the funder. You know, so uh, having a resource like this is is just incredible. I, you mentioned encampments. What are some of the other things covered?
1: Yeah, so there's a chapter, I just finished on racialized persons. There's a chapter on homelessness amongst Indigenous peoples, and, and it provides concrete examples of the kinds of things a nonprofit can do to better address the needs of Indigenous people. Um, there's going to be a chapter on gender. Uh, there's a chapter on um, encampments and rough sleeping. There's a chapter on um, health. There's a chapter on what causes homelessness, and in total, they're going to be about uh, 24, 26 chapters. I can't remember. I I, I lay it all out in the, in the in each chapter. I say at the end of each chapter, here's all the chapters you can expect, and then that's my my target. I I have to fulfill that. I've made a commitment, and I'm gonna see to. I'm gonna see through the see it all through till the end.
0: Uh, this is, I mean, listeners understand that uh, Nick runs it. So it's Nick Falbo Consulting. Right, and and you know you're a researcher, you're doing all sorts of different work. This is, uh, I you know on the side of all that you're doing this work. That's correct, right?
1: I call it my six a.m. project. Yeah, I'm not I'm not being paid to do this. There's no funding for it, so I get up very early, uh, weekdays and weekends. I work on it a little bit. I do it on my holidays too. Sometimes I do it in the evenings, uh, off the side of my desk, as they say. In fact, I I also pay for um, proofreading and I pay for layout. Uh, so I'm I'm happy to do that because I think it's important to give back. Uh, as a research consultant, I don't believe everything I do has to be paid work. Sometimes it's important to do things for the for the good of the cause.
0: Very cool. What is the response been now? This textbook, because you put it out, you put out chapters, right? So it's one. not boom, it's not one. But what is the response been from sector, government, and others that uh, you've you know that would would read this?
1: It's been a positive response. Um, I've had frontline workers reach out to me and say, Hey, I can actually understand what you're saying. And they actually sound surprised because they're not used to textbooks being like that. They say, I read what you wrote and I actually understood all of it. And so that's being quite encouraging. Uh, and I've had responses from across Canada. I've had responses internationally as well. Uh, Sarah brothers teaches a course at Penn state university. It's called, uh, homelessness in America. She finds the book useful, and that's in part because it's not just a Canadian textbook. It draws on international literature, and it's it's meant for an international audience. And uh, one of the things I do is I uh, I write the summary in English, the top ten summary of each chapter, but I also write it in French. I pay to have it translated into French, and I've had people from Quebec reach out to me and say thank you because... Um, although a whole lot of people in Quebec are fluently bilingual, uh, it makes a big difference when you get it in your own language. And so I've had people, uh, I've had people in Quebec be happy. I've had people south of the border are happy. Uh, but mostly I hear that it's, it's an accessible textbook. That's easy to understand.
0: Yeah. And sometimes it's the ones you, you hear about secondarily. I mean, uh, this podcast, for example, this podcast right now that we're, we're recording could be, but I, I remember hearing that. Um, I think it was the, <coughs> at Ryerson, they were using this podcast. This was uh, a course assignment. Every part of their assignment for Marks was to listen to this podcast and analyze into uh, and, and you know, I was thrilled because the whole idea around the podcast is education awareness. So I'm like, okay, we, we hit our you know, we're hitting our mark, uh, much like your text. Uh, Congrats on that. What else are you working on right now? I mean, this is, as you said, your 6 a.m. What other stuff? You've always got a few projects on the go. What can we look forward to? Uh, And, and, you know, hopefully some future podcast topics too. Yeah. Uh,
1: Well, I'm actually planning a trip right now to London, England for uh, May of 2024. I'm bringing 30 people from Canada, mostly from Canada, to London. We're going to be there for five full days in uh, May. There's going to be a housing cohort. There's going to be a homelessness cohort. <clears throat> We're going to look at innovations in the sector, and I'm uh, proud. I'm proudly partnering with the Chartered Institute of Housing Canada <clears throat> on this project. Michael, you know a bit about this. You came to our New York City tour, and I believe you're registered for London as well, aren't you?
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know, in fact, I'm. Uh, New York City was was fascinating, but I think uh, London even more so has a lot more in the Canadian context, like a lot of our programs are similar in in what we're facing. I mean, I always think of, you know, if you look at the little island that is the UK, they've got, what, 55, 60 million people, uh, much larger than the population of Canada that would fit, say, you know, geographically, it's the size of Ontario or less. Uh, yeah, you've got some space and housing issues, and and so they've had to work through a lot of different things. So I'm really looking forward to that, and so uh, pleased that yourself and the Canadian Institute of uh, Housing are are doing these these study tours because we learn so much. And then there's the meeting of people too. There's some incredible people on those tours that I've continued to keep in contact with uh, and share resources with.
1: Thank you. Uh, I continue to teach my Homelessness 101 workshop. It's a full-day workshop. Essentially, when someone invites me to teach it, I teach it. I can do it in person. I do it virtually. And it provides, you know, an all-day overview of homelessness. Uh, it, It draws on a lot of the book material, but it also has material that's not in the book. So I continue to do that. I'm uh, wrapping up a a project uh, about uh, senior supportive housing for francophones and minority situations across Canada. I'm doing some work with Fred Victor uh, on prevention as well, Uh, doing some work in Calgary with Onward Homes, um, looking at their real estate needs. So lots of interesting projects, and uh, it's always exciting. And one of the great things about research consulting That I wasn't expecting, but I was happy to learn is every time I'm approached by a client to undertake some research, the topic always fascinates me. Clients think of very interesting projects, (coughs) love the work.
0: Very cool. Well, you know what, Nick, you're doing um, amazing and impactful work across this country. Uh, Thank you for the textbook. Now, I wish you had time. It would be interesting if you ever did uh, audio audiobook of this so people can walk and listen and do that i mean again you're doing this off the side of your desk but maybe you could uh maybe you could get like a morgan freeman james earl jones you know one of those guys who uh will arnett you know rope them in to do a little good for for uh you know their for for our country and and uh do an audiobook version what do you think
1: or maybe ai will do it
0: for me hey yeah is it exactly right um it's a different, different, brave new world. Thank you so much uh, for all you do and continue to do. If people say, people are like, you know what? I have something, some a project I want to chat with Nick about. Uh, if they want to find out, they have a question about the textbook. Uh, maybe, you know, they're interested in, in future um, study tours. Where can they where can they find you, Nick?
1: Nickfalvo.ca.
0: does it get much easier than that, folks. Nick, thank you so much time from... Uh, So thank you so much for taking the time away from a crazy schedule, plus your 6 a.m. work on this uh, uh, open access textbook to join us. And we'll see you next time on the way home. Thanks so much,
1: Mike. I enjoyed it.
0: I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer.